The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome to the Catholic Home on the Restoration Radio Network. This is a show for women who are striving to be the heart of the home and the center of the domestic church. Whether you are a convert and new to this idea, or you are a cradle Catholic with years of experience, whether you are single or married, raising a family large or small, we plan to have something for everyone and to build a community of support and encouragement for Catholic women at home. I am your host, Wendy Haught. And I am thrilled to have this opportunity to speak with you about the vital role we play in the church as a whole by fulfilling our vocations as women in the home. It is a beautiful place to be with myriads of options for expressing our piety, our intellect, our sense of beauty, our creativity, and our desire to serve. My guest today certainly embodies all of those attributes. Her name is Marlis Arlinghouse. Marlis is one of those special ladies who not only is a wife and mother of a large family. She homeschools, restores life-size statues for St. Gertrude the Great Church in Westchester, Ohio, and still has time to iron for the parish. Welcome, Marlis, to the Catholic Home. Thank you, Wendy. It's nice to, uh, to be able to join you today. Well, I'm thrilled to have you here, and I'm sure our listeners are going to be, too, when they find out all the wonderful things that you have to share. Today, we're going to talk about choosing a place for your home altar, minimum elements to include, finding, evaluating, and repairing Catholic statues. And finally, Marlis will share a little of her parenting philosophy and how that influenced her two eldest daughters. So, Marlis, we're standing in the middle of our, our new apartment or our big suburban home, what are the considerations that we need to think about when deciding on where to put this altar? Um, I think it just kind of happens um, with the Catholic family. Sometimes it grows. You may just start with a crucifix on the wall. Um, That's Uh probably the most important element of a Catholic altar or um, for praying in your home. You know, uh, sometimes a dresser works or a bookshelf, anything like that. But normally, I would recommend wherever the family gets together. Like um, if you have where you pray your single, where you pray the rosary, right? Where you would pray your rosary together. Although when children are small, oftentimes that happens in the car. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'd say even when they're large, sometimes that happens in the car. <laughs> this is true, but uh, right. just. Normally, I would say it would probably start with a crucifix on the wall, and then sometimes maybe you'll, you know, have a small desk or something that you'll shove over there and add to it as you you locate items for for your devotion. Mm-hmm. That's good. I, that's good thinking yeah. because I know 
sometimes you just want everything to be perfect, and so you end up not doing anything. When I first converted and I was in the Nova Sordo, I started with a little, it was like a little bookshelf. It was only like three feet tall, but it was actually for CDs, for, you know, three shelves for CDs. And I had that between my children's rooms with one of those saint candles from the grocery store. (laughs) Sure. They horrible. (laughs) But they've got, you know. Like I said, it can start ever so humble. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, They have a a saint painted onto the glass. And so that's where we started saying our prayers. And now I have a whole room, a chapel. So, yes, right. start nice. whatever you can, wherever you can. Right. It, um, starts, and it starts small, usually. Yes. So be flexible. Look at all your options. And then if you don't have a desk or you don't have a dresser, you know, you... A lot of people use a with mantle. A, yes, a mantle or even install a shelf. I mean, you can... You can go to right. Hobby Lobby or whatever and buy a wooden shelf and paint it and put it on the wall. Mm-hmm. And then what about organization? I know that I struggle with this. I get so much stuff. I, on well, the shelf. I, I, I am not a minimalist, so I have a tendency <laughs> to, to go with more. So to right. me, more is, is better. But uh, a lot of people, I mean, if you're looking for a magazine look, of course, you'd want to streamline but uh, and this is something you don't find in in uh, magazines much anymore. But uh, to have any religious articles whatsoever. But I was always impressed. My sister, she just had a, a picture of the Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart and a crucifix in between. Mm-hmm. And then she had a large family, so the kids, you know, they didn't do a lot with candles and so forth. And I've always kind of avoided that myself. But um, she just hung a swag of flowers over the top, and she would change those with the seasons. And it was just, it was very nice. It was in their family room. Mm-hmm. It was just a nice statement. You could go large or small, whichever. But uh, right. that was a nice, nice way of uh, of showing your devotion. All those little stories help so much because it's it's hard to think of all the ways that you could express your faith in the home. Well, if you're isolated, like a lot of Catholics are, you don't get to go and visit other Catholic homes very often and see what they're doing. And so it's a little bit difficult. But I know that when we have talked before, you mentioned the shelf having pegs on it. And so that way you can hang up all your rosaries. And I thought, what a great idea. That's true. Because that's definitely handy. Yes. That's definitely something. Something we've had a problem with. They, They end up, you know, all over the house. Then when you time to pray the rosary you know you have tons of them but can you put your hand on one that's not broken no so true right and then the bookcase every catholic home i think is going to have more and more books added the spiritual books keep getting added so i think a bookcase is a really great place to start too because you can put your little altar on the top of the bookcase and have a place to add your prayer books and so forth so true and, you know, one thing we didn't talk about was, yes, the crucifix, that's a great place to start and the basically the essential thing. But you can also have the standing crucifix. You don't have to sure. have a, the wall space. You can go with a standing one. So that's another option. They're probably a little and, harder to find, but that's true. They are nice. Yes. Especially for smaller spaces, it seems like a standing crucifix, can you can usually find them like six or eight inches tall. That will fit a a little space. Yes. And then as you grow, you know, you can, whatever you start with, however small, as you grow, you can add to it. Some of the 
options that we've talked about are statues, for one, which we're going to get into in detail later in the show. What would you recommend as far as choosing your first statue for your home? Well, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of times it's just what you happen to come across. My husband and I, when we were first married, it was several years before we had children, and we, we would go to antique stores. And the wonderful uh-huh. things that you can find there, you know, it it didn't come with a plan. It's one of those things where when you see it, you like it, it just happens. Uh-huh. And then you find a place for it in your home. And oftentimes it do it does go towards your uh, your home altar. So, I right. mean, that's a wonderful way of, uh, it was enjoyable doing that. Of course, as we added children to our uh our group there, we, we kind of quit the antique stores. You know, if you look in Grandma's attic or uh, someone, you know, if Aunt Mabel has a, a stash. The Catholic homes years ago, <clears throat> they had so many things. And then when Vatican II came in, there was more of this uh, minimalist idea to where they, they really tucked a lot of the, the religious things away, you know, and they painted, they put them in the attic, and they never got them out again. So um, that's a, a real treasure grove there that uh, that you can get into if you have uh, relatives that were, uh, or even if your area was uh, predominantly Catholic, a lot of yard sales will have religious mm-hmm. items for sale. So right. I think there again with your Catholic altar, it just kind of um, happens. Yes, and now I'm so grateful for the Internet because I'm not just out in the country. I'm in Protestant land, and so finding Catholic True. statues, around here is not such an easy thing. I'm so grateful for the online resources. That is a wonderful uh, resource. eBay, um, you can find a lot of used statues, some of them reasonably priced. If you have something in specific that you're looking for, you can search for that particular saint statue or something. Sometimes you'll come up with some pretty nice options. Even Google will pull up something that's on eBay if it's something very specific that you're looking for. Um, Mm -hmm. I've always had Good experiences. I don't believe I've had any bad experiences at all buying things on eBay, which is which is a good thing. So yeah, well, I'm that's, really happy that's a to great, hear that. Great resource. I, Craigslist is I another on one for local. Craigslist, yes, I I love Craigslist. I haven't done any Catholic statue shopping on there, but I was gonna. You might find a nativity set locally. Mm-hmm. I've done that before um, on Craigslist, and also religious books or homeschool materials or something that I can often find on Craigslist. Yes, there's a little of everything on there. There is a way to search Craigslist outside of your own area. Right. The important thing with Craigslist is they don't normally ship. So that's why you're looking more locally. Yeah. Um, the people that are interested, they they want somebody to come pick it up or meet them at Kroger or something because I know a lot of people <laughs> are leery about Craigslist with meeting someone at their home or something. So I always say, husband. you can meet in a parking lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's even concerned about that, but that's another, <laughs> that's another story. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> Mr. Safety Man, right. Right. I like looking on eBay, especially at the Catholic stuff, because I've come across the funniest descriptions there, non-Catholics who have gotten a hold of Catholic treasures and are trying to sell them and call them so many incorrect right. things. Like you, you can find rosaries under jewelry and necklaces. Sure. and They have no idea. Of, right. They have no idea. So well, anyway, that's, that's funny because better. I went to a sale and I had gotten that uh, large infant of Prague statue. It's a beautiful statue. It has glass eyes. They had it marked as a large doll. 
Yes, I believe it. It was pretty funny. They had no idea what it was, but I did. It was that was a wonderful purchase. I would love to find something like that. I really need to explore the the estate sale option because, like you said, when when you were talking about going to antique stores with your husband before you had children, Mm -hmm. it's a way to do something enjoyable. The as a family or, you know, as a couple, and right. you're still doing something Catholic and, you know, just a great it's way wonderful. to get out. And yes, it's just fun. So when we need to do some fun things sometimes. So anyway. We live in northern Kentucky and being outside of Cincinnati, Cincinnati being a very Catholic area. Um, uh-huh. Really, I found this to be a, a treasure trove of, of uh, finding religious items. It really is a very rich area here in uh, the the Catholic heritage. I've been amazed. I live outside of Houston, and we have one diocesan Latin mass, one FSSP parish that just was established in the last three years, and an SSPX parish and one set of a contest parish. In the whole Houston area, I thought that was pretty much normal because that's what I live. And then I go to Cincinnati, and I find out, Oh, yeah, we have this, this. I mean, there is a ton mm-hmm. of, of Catholics, practicing Catholics there is. living there. Very and large area. A, yes. I, I was just amazed. <laughs> I was like, I'm so jealous. Well, I moved, here from, I moved here from Missouri, and we had even less than you do in Houston. So. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Yes, maybe, maybe we should all just plan a big statue shopping <laughs> trip to Cincinnati and uh, Northern Kentucky, <laughs> make a week of it or whatever, women's group. <laughs> of course, we'd all be there fighting. We over... <laughs> we'd all be fighting. No, I want that. So, Another option that I have used online is called Ruby Lane. Their prices are expensive. It's basically, from what I can tell, different antique stores who advertise on there and they have not only Catholic things, they have other antiques, you know, all mm-hmm. just about anything you would want. But I love looking on there because they have lots of good pictures of each piece and a description. I think developing your eye for, for Catholic art and Catholic beauty is mm-hmm. something that we need to do since, there, since Vatican II has taken away so much. So that's a, I found that to be a good resource for learning about different companies who used to make beautiful statues and other Catholic art. So then when you go to your garage sale, you say, oh, yes, I saw something like that on Ruby Lane. And this is a really good deal because it sells for $400 <laughs> at an antique store. <laughs> I was going right. to say, I, I, I believe their prices are very exorbitant because uh, – most of the things on there that I saw listed for over $300, I'm thinking you'd be lucky to get $35 out of it once you redid it. <laughs> oh, my it's, goodness. Uh, uh, like a 12-inch a 12, 12 Sacred Heart statue. I mean, when they're in rough shape, mm-hmm. most people will just give them to you. So, oh, I mean, uh, I've got a basement full of some of these things that need to be restored, and it's like, Wow. Okay, I, I wish I could get a fraction of what they they, what, they think to, they're worth. Maybe you ought to be selling on Ruby Lane. I guess. My goodness. <laughs> but so. that's a really good point that maybe we should be advertising for statues we want to buy. You know, I hadn't thought of that option. You know, put an ad in Craigslist or, you know, whatever local venue you have for advertising those kinds of things. They want to buy or what is it, in search of? ISO, in search of Catholic statues? Yeah, I believe so, yes. We'll pick up whatever. 
Right. I have you know, advertised for a few different things, and someone usually comes through. They'll say, oh, I just happened to be looking and saw this, and I've got some. If you'd like it, come get it. Oh, wonderful. So, yes, I think that's great. Okay. So I just want to kind of run through a list I made up of things that you can add to your altar as you grow. We've talked about the statues. One thing I wanted to point out is when I think of statues, I always think of larger ones and painted and all that because I just love them. But there are lots of options out there, including, I don't know if everyone has seen these, but there are the little tiny pewter ones that are like three inches tall or something. And I've mm-hmm. often thought, what a perfect way, like if you wanted to emphasize certain saints by the month that you celebrate their feast day, that would be an inexpensive and convenient way, you know, like pick out two or three saints from February or whatever that you that you mm-hmm. want to emphasize and, and buy those little pewter saints and have a place to display them. Especially for children, I think that's a great thing. I, I noticed that St. Gertrude, you know, they have that hallway with all the mm-hmm. pictures of the saints, and they're grouped by month. And yes. I think that's a fabulous idea and something we can all incorporate in our homes if we're raising children. I just think it helps so much to associate those pictures or statues mm-hmm. with the month, and then you're, build, you're ingraining that sense of the liturgical year and how it flows like I said, I love that idea. I wish that I had done that with, with my children when they were small. Relics are another way to emphasize the communion of saints to children. So we have statues, relics, and then you said you don't like using the candles so much. But for me, the candles, from the very beginning, like I said, starting out with my grocery store saint candle, I sure. have really, really enjoyed them. It helps with the mystery of it, I guess. And sure. I know my children have loved the opportunity to be the one to light the candles right? or to it, blow it is, them out. That is a big incentive for children. It really is. And then to have the little snuffer to put them out, it just, uh, sometimes it would get out of hand and it's like, you're going to burn my house down. <laughs> right. So. And I'm talking from the perspective of someone who only had two children. So <laughs> I, I can easily see how that situation would be very difficult <laughs> if you have a, a house full of, of young children and it and it wouldn't work. But if it is something that works for you, I highly recommend it. I've graduated from the grocery store Saint Candles to 100% beeswax candles, and I get them at the farmer's market. So I, I get to buy local and... Wonderful. But you can get... Yes. I, and I love the lady that, that sells them. She's so sweet. You can order them online. I've even ordered them from Azure Standard. That's where I get a lot of organic foods. They deliver in a truck. They actually have beeswax candles. And so I have ordered them from them. The great thing about beeswax is they clean your air. So a lot of people that have problems with allergies and so forth, 100% beeswax candles help with that. So I'm all for them. Nice. And the only thing I would uh, add to that is try and have them blessed before you use them. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. We do have uh, Restoration Radio's episode of the liturgical year on Candle Moth is in the archives, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes so that if you're unfamiliar with getting your candles blessed, there's a good resource there. And you mentioned the candle snuffer. That's definitely been a, a boon for, for my children as they were growing up. They loved 
using that. And I think I found it at Pier 1 or someplace like that. It, and it's pretty. It adds to the beauty of the altar. It's, it's got a glass, a faceted glass bead type thing hanging on the opposite mm-hmm. end from the supper. <laughs> it saved a lot of cleanup because when my children were putting out the candles without the snuffer, they blew wax <laughs> all over Everywhere. The place. Yes. Yes. So, so that helps. Talking about candles segues perfectly into talking about another Catholic favorite, incense. Is it an incenser? Or that's the one that they swing at church. That, well, the one the, that you want the to The thurible they burn. use at church. Okay. And then at, in homes, I, I'm not for sure what they call that for burning incense, but uh, I've, we don't do much with that. So just at right. the Epiphany, which was just the other day, St. Gertrude the Great, they always give out the gold frankincense and myrrh. So we get a little bit, and the kids always enjoy burning that with just a little bit of charcoal. But otherwise, I haven't done much with the incense. Right. I figure the singles will definitely enjoy something like that. If it's too much with children, you know, and you're trying to keep it simple, but they're the single right. Catholics out there could definitely enjoy sure. something like this. And yeah, I, I call it the Catholic aromatherapy. So um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and then, of course, we, we have the enthronement of the Sacred and Immaculate Hearts. You can have that mm-hmm. done. Paintings. Or I, I'm assuming you could do the statues as well. And, you can and use have a an statue or a, or a picture. Mm-hmm. Right. And the priest usually and, comes for the enthronement. Yes, and, and there's the whole ceremony. Now, flowers, you can go simple. You can go more exotic. What have you done in your home, Marla? Well, of course, during the, uh, the the growing months, the children are always bringing flowers in and, and putting them up. And, and occasionally during the, uh, the winter months, if there's a, a special feast day or something, I'll pick up some you know, fresh roses or something from the the store when I happen to be in there, one of my many Mm -hmm. trips to the grocery store. But um, anyway, the children just really enjoy that. And I was a florist at one point, so just the mechanics of taping your vase, if you have just a large, you know, vase, if you just put tape, I've even used scotch tape, you know, in a pinch, but tape your vase, it makes the flowers stand up straight so you can actually uh arrange them easily. Right, you're talking about like putting a tic-tac-toe um, grid, yes, like across, a grid the across the uh, the top of the, the uh-huh. vase, and that way it helps to keep the, the flowers. Because so many people say, I can't arrange flowers for anything. And I said, well, if you knew the <laughs> mechanics, the, the little hidden uh, things, or if you have like the leatherly fern, you can uh, start uh-huh. with it and make that, and then the, the, the petals of the uh, fern actually will hold the flowers up. So if you just oh, yeah. play with that for a little bit, um, it just it makes that grid work to help hold the flowers upright. And that way, your arrangement looks great. Mm-hmm. So, Marlis, you're just amazing. I mean, I'm, every time I talk to you, I find out more and more of these fascinating things that you have done. I mean, flower arranging and everything. We have to gosh, have you on another time and just focus on flower arranging or something like that because... I think that's a wonderful aspect of the Catholic home that's kind of a lost art. For the... Oh, and we need more. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the churches definitely could benefit from more florists, more people that are willing to even, uh, you know, take that on is, is flower arranging. Right. It's fun. It's fun. Mm-hmm. So and I, I, I miss the uh, the flowers and the scents and the colors of uh, of being a florist. Just having that access to all those uh, colors and and so forth is just it's wonderful. I can imagine. It just seems like such a peaceful 
Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm talking from total inexperience here because now I think, oh no, there's Mother's Day, there's Valentine's Day, <laughs> florist. There's one thing to be a a florist, and another to you know just doing uh, altar flowers and so forth. Like you still have your uh-huh. feast days, but it's not quite as intense as Mother's Day at a flower shop. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's a good point. Okay. We've talked before about letting the younger ones pick, or was that today? I can't remember, but definitely, you know, your younger children can go and pick flowers and make their own little arrangements for your home altar and incorporate your major study right along the way. Mm-hmm. And then a family Bible is a good thing to have on your altar if you have room. These are just options for adding on, and it doesn't have to be right on your altar. It could be somewhere nearby. But a simple stand, I found, really makes a difference in displaying it. I think I got mine at Pier 1 again. That's my candle snuffer Bible stand place. (laughs) You find them um, in unusual places sometimes. Yes. I I imagine any of the home, I'm not sure how you describe them, but the Marshalls, the TJ Maxx, the Ross, those kinds of discount stores, I think you might turn up a, a stand large enough for a family Bible Having it open like that is much more inviting than mm-hmm. having it on a, you know, stuck away in a bookshelf. One of the things that I've added is the, and I'm not sure of the exact name, but when you go to a funeral and you get the little holy card or I don't know if they're called the death memorial card. cards. Remembrance mm-hmm. card. Thank you. I keep those on the altar because that helps me remember to pray for them. And also, I just, I don't know what to do with them otherwise. Uh, Your missile can only hold so many. (laughs) Right. And then I'm always dropping my missile and they're all falling out. So, I mean, the ones that I do keep in there. So for for those, a nice nice option for those, I had um, an old gentleman in our parish that had to ask me for them, is to look for a photo album about the size of a missile, just a small photo album. But if you can find Uh the ones to where you can take out the paper so you can see the front and the back of the card, that is absolutely wonderful. And he would just, uh-huh. I found a few of those little books, and he would take them to church with him with his missile, and then he would flip through and remember each and pray for each person on those, oh, which was a wonderful is- idea. It is. I love that. They are difficult oh, yes. to find, the the books to where you can actually, most of them will have a, a solid black or something in there, so you can't see the back. But if you happen to find one to where you can lift the paper out, and that way you can see the front and the back of the card, it really is a neat, neat option. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, that's just such a great idea. I'm so glad you thought of that and to share that, because I know lots of people are going to say, yes. <laughs> That's the answer. Right. Well, exactly, because, I mean, so many times you can see the front of the card, and then you don't remember who it is. And and uh, mm-hmm. they really do go to some efforts to make beautiful pictures on the front of them. So it is nice to be able to see the front and the back. And it's mm-hmm. important to remember those people. So that is a, right. uh, was a neat, neat, neat thing. Okay. And that's probably the same thing you could do with the priest first mass cards, because I have a stack right. of those, too. You know, um, right. And I, I think they're the same size, although sometimes I think I've gotten sure. some that were like the size of a business card, but maybe not. But yes, finding a little album to display those things would be an excellent solution to remembering and praying for these people and, and still staying organized. That's another thing I have found at yard sales also. 
Um, I have a stack of those, and a lot of them are beautiful, old, old prints. But uh-huh. I, I, I got them for that. But then I also try to remember, you, you hate to think of any being, anyone being forgotten. So um, mm-hmm. I still, even though I don't know those particular people, it's nice to include them in your prayers. You find those at garage sales? Yes. Well, there again, this is a very oh, large Catholic area. So That's so sad. <laughs> but I'm so glad you found well, them. And it's probably... <laughs> It's probably several generations down, and they didn't know them, and they don't know what to do with them. So uh-huh. there again, uh, I just keep an eye out for that stuff. <laughs> right. Well, it sounds like you can get a good overview of the collapse of Catholic culture by going to garage sales. <laughs> so, this is true. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, next on my little list, and we're, we are nearing the end, holy water. Definitely need holy water. I have the little plastic bottle that you can get at mm-hmm. your church bookstore, and mm-hmm. I've also had glass bottles and found both of them to to be helpful to me because I like to have the, the little plastic ones for in the car or going mm-hmm. somewhere, and also fonts. Mm-hmm. We have two because we have one near the chapel and one at the back door, but those are pretty much essential. I, I don't know, not not like the crucifix, of course, but still, you know, they're right. just one of those I things. I have a little you... funny story about one of those. I had an angel one that was a holy water font, and I, I tell you, I think that was the thirstiest angel I've ever seen in my life. The, the holy water, <laughs> it went through there so quickly. Finally, I uh-huh. took and I, I painted a, a clear coat on the inside so, because it was like a terracotta. So, right. I mean, it was just absorbing the holy water mm-hmm. I've <laughs> until had I finally situation. sealed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Had this exact same situation. It was impossible to keep holy water in that in that terracotta one. I think if if I buy another one, I'm going to go with brass. <laughs> that way, maybe I will. That will be the least likely to absorb anything. And Bishop Dolan has done a wonderful show on holy water in um, devotions mm-hmm. with Bishop Dolan. And then the last thing on my list is pictures and icons. Those are just like the statues you can find online, you can find at the garage sales and antique stores. I was going to say, it's nice to change those with the season. I have a uh, a pair of prints of the Sacred Head and uh, the Sorrowful Mother that we put up during Lent um, just Mm -hmm. to help with devotion. And then uh, after Lent is over, we'll take those down and, uh, you know, you might add something else during uh, Christmas season or, you know, something like that. So it's nice to to be able to, the picture frames are nice because it's easy to store um, if mm-hmm. you're uh, changing them for the season. Yes, that's a good point. Not so, it's e- easier to store than statues for sure. Um, mm-hmm. They take up a whole lot less room and they're less fragile generally. So mm-hmm. good point. And then one thing I wanted to talk about is the idea of a kitchen window altar because mm-hmm. as, Women, we spend a lot of time at the sink washing dishes, and it's a, just a great way to to focus our attention and make good use of our time while we're washing dishes. We can pray. Right. Well, so I think the, the kitchen window would be a great place to have a shrine. I mean, it would be a good place to have a crucifix, sure, but also a place to have your patron saint or some saint that helps you as far as Focusing on being the heart of the home. I was thinking St. Like Martha. Mary or right, Mary, St. Martha. Right. Something like that. But you can do whatever you want. You know, whatever works best for you. 
and and then the view out the window. You and I had talked previously about having yeah, a, we Mary a Mary garden, garden outside, right? So mm-hmm. we can see the uh, the statue of Mary from the kitchen yeah, window. I, I love that idea so much. I find that being at home, we often have so many distractions. I mean, especially when we have the smaller children and and everything. Those little views, like you're talking about having a merry garden outside your kitchen window and about having a shrine or an altar there, I mean, mm-hmm. that just really helps redirect. I mean, I, I find that you constantly need to redirect. Yes, there's a lot of activities in a home. <laughs> yes, yes, there is. Sometimes so. that brief re- reflection is, is a, a nice and uh, sometimes very needed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those little, um, it's like a little retreat, like your dishwashing retreat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're now about halfway through the show, so it's a good time to remind you that you're listening to The Catholic Home on the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. However, permission can usually be easily obtained by writing mail at truerestoration.org. I am your host, Wendy Haught. And my guest today is the lovely and talented Marla Starlinghouse, a wise mother and Catholic statue restorer. Today, we've been discussing setting up and equipping home altars, choosing a place for them, and, and different options for your situation. We've had a lot of fun and shared some great tips. Now we're ready to dive headfirst into the wonderful world of Catholic statues. Catholic statues, I think, really reflect in the non-Catholic world that we're Catholic. When when people come into our homes who are not Catholic and they see the statues, they're, that makes the biggest impact on them, it seems to me, more so than paintings or, or anything else. So I'm really excited to talk to you about what we can do to find them and restore them, because so many times, like we were talking about earlier with the home altars, they're, they're in damaged condition because of the neglect of the last 40 or 50 years. So, mm-hmm. um, but, but before we dive into you telling us all your tips and, and tricks, could you give us a little background? It must be truly satisfying work. How did you get started doing it? Well, I, back in the 80s, I was a teenager, and my sister was um, diving into the wonderful world of ceramics, as so many other people did. And uh, uh-huh. we happened to come across a, <clears throat> a little Sacred Heart statue that was in terrible, de- deplorable repair. And we thought, you know, anything would help this. We can do this. So we just took some of the ceramic stains and, and got started. Well, of course, once you've done one and it turned out okay, then you start seeing other statues that, oh, this one's oh, this one's got that ketchup look. It's so red. So, you know, we'd work on another one. And um, so forth. So it just, it spiraled and I've, I've been working on it since the early eighties. Um, I probably got a little more serious about it in, uh, let's see, I moved out here in 89. So about, uh, in the nineties, I started getting into some life-size statues. Um, I tried different paint mediums. I've done several in oils. I wanted to see how well they would last. They've held up for years. I've got uh, several that I did there at St. Gertrude's that were done in oils. But then I got married, and with the introduction of small children, oils don't work because they take too long to dry. So Our whole lives are constant wear... adapt. I'm sorry. I was going to say we're always <laughs> adapting to children. <laughs> 
We do. We do adapt. Yes. This is true. So, and then I had the great honor of of uh, meeting George Maraconi. He and his brother Bert did religious statues and uh, works on altars and so forth in this area for many years. Um, I got to meet him. He was an elderly gentleman at the time and he, unable to uh, to do the statues anymore. He'd just gotten shaky mm-hmm. and so forth. So I purchased some of his tools, um, spent many, many hours uh, visiting with him, and he let me have a copy of his old uh, De Prado Statuary Company book, the, the uh-huh. company in uh, Chicago. They uh, So anyway, it's been a great reference point, and of course some of them had uh, the color photographs in there, which was uh, mm-hmm. a nice refer- reference point. So yeah. but then I, I uh, after speaking with him, I got introduced to the airbrush, um, added that to <laughs> um, working on the, the large statues, and it's just gone from there. My goodness. I, I love this story, of, particularly about Mr. Marconi, because I'm always interested in the passing on, you know, um, yeah. sharing what you know and with the next generation. So I think that's fabulous that you got to meet him and get some of his tools. I'm well, sure it was funny was because thrilled. he told me, he said, uh, he went back and he saw this one statue and he thought, oh, ugly, who did that? And he turned it around and he looked and it was his signature. And he said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, no. So he said, I said, well, how long did you think it took before you got really good? He said, I think I had to do 600 life-size statues before I thought I was good. I said, okay, well, I'll never be good then because I can't imagine I'll ever do 600 of them. Wow. So the so, question that comes in my mind is how many did he do? I mean, if it took 600 to get he and his brother. I think he and his brother were very prolific. They would go to uh, a church in Indiana, say, and uh, they would stay there for several weeks and, and work on all their statues and gold leaf their altars. And it was pretty incredible. Um, uh-huh. I think they had a, an incredible uh, legacy. It sounds so. like it. That's just fascinating. We never hear these kind of stories, so I'm just not, like on the edge of my seat. Well, I'm- I had uh, I asked who had painted the statues at St. Gertrude the Great. Um, there in Sharonville at the time, now in Westchester. Mm-hmm. But um, um, he had told me that the Mar- Mr. Marconi, and he still lived in the area. So um, I just looked him up out of the blue, and, and he was glad to speak with me about it and uh, give, pass on his tips. He was, using, uh, lac- he was using lacquer paints, and, of course, I was expecting at the time, and I really didn't want to have to use the chemicals. So mm-hmm. I went ahead and went to acrylics and latex paints being water-based and not having to deal with lacquer thinner and so forth. So he didn't approve of that, but but I've made it work. So. <laughs> oh, wow. That is just wonderful. Okay. So that's a little bit of your background. And actually, I would love to keep talking about that because it's just so interesting, but we need to move on. So um, I wanted to ask you about the problems with the new statues. What do you think about the quality and so forth? And what do you see as the advantage of a new statue or over the old statue and, and vice versa? The new statues, um, there is some merit to the new statues. A lot of them are done in resin. They're lightweight pretty durable. 
some of the features are quite nice on them. Sometimes you could touch up just a little bit of paint and make it not quite so garish, or uh, mm-hmm. um, sometimes the faces might need a little bit of help. They are mass-produced, but they do decent quality on some of them. Um, you may find that some look a little too angular. It's a little more of a modern look. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you can change some of that with a little bit of paint um, or sanding, but um, maybe That's not so much on the, the resin. But, um, you know, the older statues definitely have that that warm, more rounded, uh, the 50s. I, I don't know. They just uh, they have a nicer feel to them, um, mm-hmm. I think. You know, there are some new ones out there that are done in the old style that you can still find. Um, but, you know, the old ones are usually cheap. <laughs> a lot of times <laughs> people don't want them, and they'll they'll just give them to you. And they uh-huh. might have, you know, a little chip here, a little, you know, a little spot on the nose or something like that. And so much of that, I mean, if it's white, it stares at you. But if you take mm-hmm. even a Sharpie marker... Um, you know, say it's a, a statue that has a black robe and it's got some white chips on it. You could even take a Sharpie marker and, and mark that out and nobody would even notice it from several feet away. So a, a lot of the, right. So, I mean, or if you happen to have some little paint, um, the little craft paints work wonderful. If he's got a nose that's missing, you know, and you happen to be in the uh, craft store, pick up a little flesh color and, and just put a it, it those little eight inch statues are notorious for having their nose broken, and there's not a really easy way to fix those, but uh-huh. if you just put a little bit of flesh colored paint on there, you won't notice it. That's amazing. So, what a simple fix well, That's- because most people will tell me, I have a statue that has a broken nose. I said, "Let me guess, it's eight inches <laughs> because it's really hard to get those to stay on there. <laughs> I wonder why that is. That's interesting. No. Well, it's because maybe because so they were so popular. Oh, because they're so tiny. Well, okay. larger statues are e- easier to fix, just because you know it's a little easier to to work with something that's that's uh, larger. I, but I, I uh, those little ones, I think they just get moved around, banged around. Kids use them, and you know they're not wrapped properly when they're moved from one room to the next, or or whatnot. But uh, anyway, if you just touch up. Um, those little tiny flecks and they're not white, you won't notice them. Okay. So. Oh, you mentioned the facial expressions of the new ones, and that's usually what turns me off. I, there's something about their faces that it doesn't seem holy. I mean, the expression doesn't seem like a holy expression to me. Right. I don't know. And a lot of times but, the lips are so red. Um, uh-huh. Lips, technically, normally you would take like a flesh tone and add a little bit of a orange to it or something to warm it up a little bit for a lip because most people, if they're not wearing makeup, they don't have cherry red lips. So a lot of times if you could just tone that down a little bit, it would change the look of the statue more than you would know. Mm -hmm. That's great to know. I found several pretty attractive resin statues at Marshall's, that discount Uh store I was talking about earlier. Sure. And so I've, I've bought a few of those that, um, the face was acceptable to me, and the price was right. I mean, it was like ten dollars or whatever. And I know right. that I've seen them at full retail for thirty or or so dollars. So, so right. that's a good place. And we had talked before about where you can. When we were talking about the home altars, we talked about the places you can find the older statues, mm-hmm. like 
in the attic, eBay, so forth. Right. St. Vincent oh, Paul, any thrift stores? Right. Oh, and one other quality of the older statues that I really like is the glass eyes. That's that's true. That's not as common as you would think. I mean, locating one with glass eyes, but it is a wonderful treat. And it's easy to tell that, that it is a glass eye. Um, I mean, yeah. if you happen to be looking, the large doll, the infant of Prague that I had, I noticed instantly you can tell that it had glass eyes. I mean, that that definitely puts that statue up towards the top of uh, of the uh, the quality line. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you see one of those at a sale and you notice it has glass eyes, you know that's a high quality statue. They only do that to the nicer ones. So mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, if you're interested in something you know that's that's a good one (laughs) right is there any particular companies that you know that that frequently well the deprado i was going to say deprado stands out um usually they have a stamp on the base of the statue probably on the back or maybe on the side and it will say deprado statuary company um that company has been i mean it was around in the 1800s they did beautiful work. They had very nice quality. Um, you could purchase those statues with like a simple decoration on up to very rich. Um, so they mm-hmm. came in a lot of different uh, styles. You could pick your your pocketbook could pick what what type you wanted. So that's especially right. on the larger statues. You could keep an eye out for the Deprado mark. That's just that's a stamp of excellence. Okay. That's good to know. So, but any statue that appeals to you, um, if you, you know, if it catches your eye, chances are there is some appeal there. Um, I would, you know, if it was a reasonable price, I would, I would take it. And then if you notice any flaws, you could touch it up with a little bit of paint. Um, if you, if it does need plaster work, a lot of times the base will have a crack on it or something. I use patching plaster opposed to like pat, uh, plaster of Paris. Because the plaster of Paris just doesn't get hard enough. So patching plaster is available at anywhere from Walmart to any hardware store. Um, usually it comes pre-mixed these days. You can put that on there, use a putty knife, your finger, uh, whatever hap- you happen to have. Make your repair. You can give it a light sanding. And then I would suggest using a primer. And then just um, some of the craft paints from the local craft store work real well. If you buy your primary colors, the blue, red, and yellow, um, black and white, there's many colors that you can mix from those, or you could buy specific colors if you don't feel quite so uh, sure about mixing. A paper plate makes a great palette. Just um, put some paints on there and keep mixing until you think you've got the right color and and make your little touch-up. Um, like I said, if you're doing a base or something, you might want to get like a gray. The main thing is, is you don't want pure white. You don't want pure, just about any color. Usually most colors are a mix, and that way you get away from that ketchup mustard look um, on so many statues that need to be repaired. Uh, a lot of times the bases will have a corner broken off. Um, you mm-hmm. can use that patching plaster. Go ahead and make your repair. Let it dry for 24 hours. Sand it slightly. Use a primer is what I usually would recommend, especially on uh, fresh plaster. Um, definitely mm-hmm. use a, a primer and then some craft paint. Mm-hmm. I know from now on when I see a statue like what you're talking about, I'm going to think of condiment colors. 
Marla said this was ketchup. <laughs> this was mustard. <laughs> well, we had some friends of ours that had a life-size statue of the Sacred Heart that somebody did, and it was a ketchup red robe, and then the uh, the around the heart they did mustard yellow, and it oh just always I just I cannot see that statue without thinking of ketchup mustard. <laughs> it's just wow. <laughs> so some oh new colors. Another really nice hint, if you have a Sacred Heart statue that just seems a little bland, um, our Mm -hmm. local Hobby Lobby story carries a uh, gold leaf pen. It's like a Sharpie marker, but it does gold leaf, and it does a beautiful job. You don't have Ah. to be um, the the true artist that uh, that Uh does gold leaf now. They have this available to anyone. It's like a pen, so you can get a nice, clean, little sharp line. And it's beautiful. It's wonderful for uh, just sparking up a, uh, a statue that you've got that might be a little dull. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great because I'm definitely the non-artist type, and the the gold leaf pen sounds like it was made for me because <laughs> my yeah, hands. It's wonderful. Like, all right, I tell my hands to do something, and and they don't they don't listen. So um, <laughs> the pen. <laughs> Well, and there again, it's one of those things, you could take a piece of paper and just practice, you know, making a thin line and a thicker line Mm -hmm. just a few times before you start on the statue. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, that's been a wonderful, wonderful uh, invention. Great. Well, I will definitely look for that because I'm taking you up on this. I I am going to buy these uh, supplies that you've been talking about and find me some, some, forsaken poor little statue somewhere and start practicing believe me there are a lot of little forsaken statues out there we have taken many <laughs> many into our home <laughs> so and that's how my daughters got started oh okay. uh, my, my eldest two daughters have shown an interest in the uh, the statue repair mainly because with homeschooling i mean when i was first married i was able to turn out statues i did um probably you know 10 to 15 life-size statues but as the children came, I've done less and less, and my turnaround has taken a lot longer. So my, my older two girls have gotten to where, you know, I started out with, uh, here's a sad little sacred heart, see if you can fix them up. And uh-huh. uh, they, they got to where they enjoyed it, and then they started sanding on the life, life-size statues that I would be working on, or the four-foot statues. I had them sand on some of those. A lot of times the churches were locked up, they shut the doors, and the 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 statues were left in the cold, and that causes the paint to start flaking. So a lot oh, of these okay. statues that you get, they're in such bad repair because the paint has just been flaking off. There's not really an easy way of getting all that off. It's a lot of sanding. So mm-hmm. my girls started sanding statues, and then uh, you know we would prime them and then start with the, the paint, and I would let them do base coats. Um, on the larger statues, which is nice because we would start with the, the base coat and then I'd go back with the airbrush and then add some of the uh, shading and so forth. But, mm-hmm. um, so it was that was a, a nice way for them to to get started in it. Right, I that's awesome. <laughs> I hate to use that word <laughs> awesome because it's overused, but um, truly it is. I mean, to to be able to pass this along to your children is really the I mean, the Catholic ideal, isn't it? I mean, to the whole right. family line thing, I just love that idea. And, you know, the, the these Catholic statue companies we were talking about, like the Prado, I mean, they were families. Right. They, 
It was family-oriented. That's how it started. Right. Um, I think the Prada was started in 1860, and then that Peruvian one, Santa Teresita, is that right? Um, It started in 1927, and it's still family-owned. So, you know, go out, go to the yard sales, find these little statues, and bring them home, and and let your children uh, get started, and you, you may start this new uh, dynasty of, of well, it's amazing uh, because their talent, uh, the natural talent that the children have, each one is so different. The children, their personalities, and their talents. Uh-huh. Uh, my oldest daughter likes doing the uh, the rough and the base work, and then uh, my second daughter is just really good at detailed work. So she she's taken over doing faces for me and so forth, and she she does an excellent job. So it's fun because you can see their their different personalities and their talents come shining forth. So mm-hmm. it's, it's Which, a neat thing. Well, that that leads me into your homeschool your parenting and homeschooling philosophy, Marlis, because I <laughs> I I want to hear and I want I want our listeners to hear. You know, how and if you, you want a clean house, don't homeschool. <laughs> <laughs> That's so reassuring. Some people say if you want a clean house, don't send your kids to school. But um, the kids oh. can snap to and, and clean up when they need to. But for the most part, there's a lot of living that goes on in your home. And when you're homeschooling, that living kind of overflows. So, <laughs> Right. But um, I know. the main thing is, is um, with the kids, I mean, we don't really do art class necessarily if there's a craft sale or something like that we'll we'll craft and uh we have a lot of fun doing it the main thing is is don't be worried about them making a mess let them have their fun whether it be baking painting crafting whatever it is um just uh try to relax a little bit i know a lot of people are uptight about having a clean home and i used to be (laughs) but uh, after about number four i think i'd my sister had told me after number four, I knew it was never going to be the same. And I said, well, that's, that's probably true. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that is so encouraging because I tell you, I, I know so many women and myself included where, you know, we just feel this incredible pressure to keep the home perfect all the time. And it's impossible. I mean, even, you know, when right. I only had two, you know, I only have the two children. I, we did mm-hmm. homeschool, and right. it was just so hard and caused me a lot of unnecessary stress, I think. You know, just if you cook everything from scratch, I mean, right there, you're going to have a messy kitchen. I mean, it's just this is the true. way it is. Um, and I, I found that that's one of the key things to being at home is cooking from scratch because um, – well, this is a whole nother topic. I'm I better follow my show plan, yeah. huh? <laughs> so anyway, so it's great to hear your advice to to don't be afraid to let them make a mess because that's gonna right. help a lot of a lot of women. And it's true. I mean, life is messy and learning is messy and you just don't know what avenues are going to open up when you relax and let them have right. a little bit of freedom to to explore. I never and make never would have dreamed. <laughs> I never would have dreamed I would be doing statues, but it is something I do enjoy. Um, probably don't have quite as much time for it as I as I have in the past or may in the future. But um, don't be afraid to dabble. Right. Well, 
it's been a wonderful, wonderful little over an hour with you, Marlis. I've enjoyed it so much and I have I've learned so much and I'm sure my listeners are just going to be thrilled with all the information that you've shared. We first off started talking about home altars, uh, about choosing a place for one in your home and the things that we can use to to place on the altar, you know, the crucifix and uh, candles and, and so forth. And then, and we also talked about where to find items like this. And then we went on and talked about statues in particular and Marlis's expertise with restoration. And then followed up with a, a little, a little delve into the homeschooling aspect, um, Marlis's philosophy there and how it has helped her children, her two oldest children, to take up the statue restoration as well. I want to thank Marlis for being with us today. Uh, is there anything that you would like to add before we close the episode? Oh, I think we've probably pretty much exhausted it. But uh, like I said, <laughs> just don't be afraid to, to take up a, a paintbrush and, and do some of your own touch-ups. It's really not, not that difficult. And if you don't like it, paint over it. <laughs> right, right. That's good advice. Well, thank you again, Marlis, for for being with us, and especially thank you for being on my first show. I I can't think of a better way to launch this series, and I'm so happy that you agreed to do this with me. So thank you, and well, thank you, Wendy. And may God Thank bless you, Wendy. Oh, You're yes. welcome. And uh, just remember, it is an important work that we do, just being in the home. Yes. If you have any questions for Marlis Arlinghouse or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at catholichome at truerestoration.org, and we will pass along your questions or comments to Marlis. And we would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us is strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Wendy Hawk. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.